Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Real with Jordan and Demi. Today, we have a very special guest. He's frontman for one of the biggest bands of the last 20 years. Their new greatest hits album, Vicennial, Two Decades of Seether, is out now. Please welcome from Seether, Sean Morgan. What is Hi. going on? <clears throat> How's it going? It's going good. It's going good. So, this is a huge thing uh, for you to release this greatest hits album because you had made a compilation several years ago that you didn't like. You didn't like it so much that you put a squatting, pooping dog on the cover yeah. of that out. Let's see that. The old <laughs> of, I, I the, uh, of the Greatest Hits album. Yeah, that, that was what we had before. Subtle. It's so yeah, subtle. subtle. Yeah, real <laughs> subtle. And so now we have this new uh, Greatest Hits album, Vicennial. Um, so tell us about how you went about, first of all, why did the first album suck? Let's start there. Uh, well, at the time we were signed to Wind Up Records and it was right near the end of our relationship with them. So it was basically, um, we, we were up with all of our contractual obligations. Um, they were basically about to sell us to Concord Records, which mm -hmm. then ultimately we didn't end up being signed to Fantasy. And it was kind of a cash grab on the way out for them because they were basically folding. They, they, they had sold off all of their bigger catalog stuff. Um, it was the death throes of the company, let's say, at the end of the day. And they kind of wanted to, to rush this thing out that I thought was a cash grab, um, which I've always despised. And I think that, you know, at that point, it was what, I think 2014 or 13 or whatever it was. I don't even remember. But it, it was it was kind of it felt a little premature to me um, as it wasn't necessarily a milestone in our careers. It wasn't like 10 years or 20 years or 30 or whatever. It was just basically it was like in the middle of, of, of 10 and, tw and 20. Um, and it, it just felt to me disingenuous just to put it out and, and try and make money off of it. That was that label's motivation all along was to make as much money as possible. Um, and it was kind of a big F you on the way out to, to us. And, and so we said, well, here's a, here's a dog taking a dump. And, and we respond in kind. And uh, it was rushed and it was kind of not well thought out. So it, just to me, it was kind of one of those things that I didn't feel was necessary to put out. I thought it was there we go, 2002 to 2013. So it, it was just too early. It wasn't, it, it just didn't feel to me like it was the right time for something like that. And I've always thought that a certain amount of time has to pass or you have to have had a certain amount of success before you can say, look, oh, look, look this, this is what we've done. And up until that point, sure, we'd had some success, but it wasn't, you know, again, for me, it, it, it didn't sit right with me. It didn't sit right with the band. And we were almost on, not even on, on, on speaking terms with the label. So the whole thing was just from their end telling us that they needed some things. That's why we did the cover of Seether because we were kind of, we just didn't know what else to do. They needed a new song. Um, and we weren't particularly interested in giving them something new. So we just, you know, we just showed our disdain for them by putting it out. But well, and we didn't have a choice. That's, that's one of the things that people I think don't understand sometimes is when you are signed to a label and especially one that's quite tyrannical in the sense of, of they make all the decisions. Um, you don't have any say in what, what comes out. So that was, all in all, just from start to finish, it was just a horrible experience. So I feel like for rock bands um, and major labels, sometimes, you know, I feel like it's harder for a rock band. There's more people involved. You guys are making most of the time alternative music. Um, it's not just one pop artist dealing with like a major label. And I feel like it's sometimes a little harder to navigate through. How have you guys navigated through the music industry over the past few decades? Well, in so in a lot of genres, like we you mentioned, a lot of like say for example, pop genre and, and a lot of country, even there's they have people that write songs for them. So it's you really have an artist mm -hmm. that's performing music that was written by an in-house or or a, a team of people. So it's really just about the packaging and and marketing of it. Um, and for us, it's always been you know we write everything from we've never had anybody write 
except for with the exception of one song, I had a friend of mine and we co-wrote the song. It wasn't, wasn't like it was a, an outside writer, but it, it, it's, it's, it's a different world when you have people, for example, we had an A&R guy at Windup Records. The first guy was terrible and he was basically useless. And then the second guy came in and he, he fancied himself quite the writer. So he kept insisting that we didn't know what we were doing. I didn't know what to write. I, I wasn't a good songwriter, but he was a great songwriter. And he was very perfectly willing to help me out and, you know, and, and hone the craft, as he said. Um, and so there's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of speed bumps and hurdles that you have to get through. I mean, I've been told to F off back to Africa before by a, a label boss, because I disagreed with a certain mix of a song. Um, mm. and it's, you know, you, you, cause you stand up for yourself and you, because you've written these things yourself and you, and you want to, you want to put them out and portray them in a certain way, you, you, you sort of take it a little bit more personally. And, and I, look, I can't say blanket across the board that all of these genres that I mentioned have outside writers. Some of them certainly write their own songs. And I think that they may, might be able to agree with me that once, if you have a little bit more personal input, that there's more that, that, that you have invested emotionally. But it's just you know all along all along the way there's it's it's it, the the genre is overlooked at all the major award ceremonies. There's only a handful of quote unquote rock bands that make it to them as as token rock bands, um, and those will be bands that have done really really well across the spectrum of alternative pop and rock at the same time. And there's only a handful of bands that are allowed to do that. And for the most part, those are heritage bands that have been around for thirty odd years or, or at least more than twenty years. Um, so there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of hurdles and and you know you see the underrepresentation at all of these major events so it's it's you 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 constantly feel like the, you know the, the black sheep of the family i guess and and i think that that's yeah that's a hurdle unto itself but i, I mean, you know i just don't really care about any of that stuff thankfully i just we just write music and i write music that i want to hear and that expresses where i'm at and how i feel and 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 the experiences that i've been through and um i found that staying true to myself and in that sense um just delivering music that I think I want to hear or that I think I, that, that has a huge part of me in it has been, um, has helped us to get over a lot of those hurdles. And you, you know, there's hurdles with producers, there's hurdles with management, there's hurdles with labels, there's hurdles with promoters, there's hurdles with everything really. And it's not just unique to rock or, or, or even alternative. I think it's, I think it's sort of the music industry in general, but um, it does feel that as the years have gone by that, that, you know the quote-unquote heyday of alternative rock as it used to be known not nowadays alternative doesn't really have guitars in it and it's more along the lines of if you put on an alternative channel it'll be billy eilish and you know yeah. one pilots and maybe right. maybe imagine dragons you've got a little bit of guitar in there but for the most part you know alternative in the 90s was nirvana pearl jam ellison chains etc and, and that was at least the understanding of alternative up until about the early 2000s so that whole that whole genre has now sort of shut our style of music out because it's because we have guitars distortion maybe sometimes mm -hmm. you do a little yelling um and then that, 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 that the format doesn't like that so we've seen diminishing numbers of radio stations that actively support rock hard rock or, or, or uh, uh active rock um so that's that's another hurdle to overcome but thankfully you know with the world we live in it's such a small world that, and, and information is so easy to find with all the streaming platforms and the and the internet itself um i don't necessarily feel i mean it's still important and it's still very sad that we've you know we used to have hundreds of rock radio stations in the, in the states and it's now down to i believe if i'm not mistaken almost less than 100 but i could be completely um, yeah I'm, I'm i just i just play the music i i, I go where they it's tell me like yeah it's rock acts are emulating rock music which is taking up room for the actual rock acts is that what you're saying 
Well, no, what I'm saying is, is, is a lot of a lot of radio stations at, uh, began to understand that if they flipped to this new alternative instead of what was used to be alternative, it's far more accessible to a larger audience, right? So you would have, so let's say if you're playing a Billie Eilish and you're playing a, uh, you know, uh, 21 Pilots or all those kinds of music and you're calling it alternative, um, you basically are piggybacking off of pop stations and you no longer play rock bands because you don't want to offend your listeners' sensibilities. Um, and we've actually been told before by certain stations, it's like, no, you guys, you, you know, there's too much guitar in that. We, we don't play that anymore. And there were stations that we had been, act, you know, we had been huge parts of stations for, for, I don't know, a decade plus. And suddenly they flipped format from active to alternative. And they said, sorry, you know, we, we love you guys. We're still friends with you guys, but we don't play that music anymore. And that was, that was kind of interesting to see um, major, massive radio stations and massive markets flip format and then just completely shun us. So it's it, it it happens i mean it's it, it's fine but thankfully you know and i, I so I've, i think honestly it's more difficult for rock bands um at this point and i feel sad sometimes for newer rock bands but, but then you see some really cool ones that are, are going independent and they're making a name for themselves independently without labels sometimes even without management so there is hope um as long as you can get it out there and that that then becomes that then comes back to marketing and and, and online media and my favorite social media which i prefer to stay away from as much as possible but again there's a lot of tools for new bands it's just they just aren't the way that it used to be back in the day you get a song on the radio you, you build an audience that way and you know we were lucky 20 years ago there was a lot more stations playing this kind of music and just nowadays it's, it just seems to have dwindled a bit. that being said sean you know you one thing that separates you from a lot of your the bands you came up with is that you've continued to churn out hit singles year after year you know uh i counted at least two dozen singles that have hit the top 10 on either the alternative rock chart or the mainstream rock chart and so you had so many songs to choose from and you had the yeah. second chance at your compilation at your greatest hits album so how did you go about choosing which songs made it to this collection well it was a collaborative it, it was between the label and us and management and we all sort of looked and said look, look you, you look at metrics and, and a whole bunch of things you also just understand from crowd responses when you play these songs which songs the people want to hear and we live in a very singles driven market in a very singles driven world and you know for example when i was a kid you guys are so good at making great singles though you've always been so yeah good i that. sold my soul to the to the devil a long time ago <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so, so i mean yeah like you said we have we've we've had we've had a, a, a bunch of success and and um thankfully we, we've been managed we, we've managed to maintain that for for now almost 20 years this is the this will be the 20th year um so when you came when it came to picking the songs there's 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 a bunch of them that rise to the top clearly like you got you got fake it you got country song you got uh, remedy broken those are the you know the ones that that have been around the longest and then therefore have, are the most well known and then you then you add in some of the newest singles that did really well and and, and there's you know you, we try to include as many as we could that we that I think we could get to number 1 but there's a couple honestly there's a there's a couple songs that you talk about we were talking about uh, speed bumps and hurdles the other, just a little bit ago uh, there were a couple songs that were chosen as singles for us throughout our career that we had no say in and no input in so i was never really a huge yeah. fan of them um but subsequently they did they did well enough that they made some sort of a, a splash in the scene and you know we included a couple of those songs just because that's more about um fan appeasement than it is about our own um yeah you know our own ego management i guess is what you could call it because it's you have to look at this kind of thing as as if you were going to play a set and when you play a set of songs you, you know when you when you 
your job is to is to make the audience happy because they paid money to be there. So, yeah, sure, you could play an entire set, an hour and a half, ninety minutes, whatever you know, of of um, of, of deep cuts that only the the quote unquote true fans um, w w would know. But I, I don't think you have to be a, a, a fan of an entire catalog to be a true fan of a band. I think it's perfectly acceptable to say, hey, I like singles. I mean, do I do I listen to bands like that? No, not necessarily, because, you know, when I grew up, I would buy albums and I'd listen from start to finish and I would know which song was the next one following on from this one that just ended. And that's kind of my experience. Yeah. I was never a big fan of shuffling music. I always wanted to listen to an album and, and, and experience the whole thing from start to finish as it was presented to me and to understand and, and sort of go on the, you know, the emotional journey that I've been that has been laid in front of me. Um, but in this kind of thing, you know, you have to pick from 20, 20 years of doing this. Um, you know, I, I forget, like you, like you said, a couple dozen singles. Some of them didn't do as well as others, but you sort of try and pick the ones that did the most, that did the best. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's at the end of the day, what's interesting about it as well is you can play you can play this thing from start to finish to some people are like, oh my God, I had no idea those were all the same band. And that's that's another thing. We've, that's another one of the hurdles we've had for a long time. And I think it started from the very first album when, our first album came out and it had 10 different album covers and it had different signs on the front. So nobody knew what the album was called. It didn't even have the band name on it. So you go, okay, cool. Well, I don't know what I'm looking for in, this, in the record store. So it was kind of a weird way to, 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 to launch a new band. So there's always been kind of a disassociation between the music and who the band is. And it's funny because you'll tell somebody, oh, that's us. And they're like, no way, really? I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's us. Like, oh, I, I love that song. And so what we've been trying to do now with this, I think, and a part of this maybe subconsciously is to sort of connect the dots for some people as far as, yeah, you might know the song, you might not know the band name, but this is the same band with all of these tracks. And this is what we've done over the past 20 years. And hopefully 20 years from now, we can have another one of these come out and, and uh, you know, and, and still be doing this. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember you, you know, I was of your, your generation. Uh, I was, I was a young kid when, when you guys came out and of course, the first thing that I heard from you guys was fine again, which mm -hmm. when fine again came out, it felt like it was on the radio every 20 minutes. Talk about a different time, different world, 2002. And there were more stations. <laughs> yeah, totally. Absolutely. And I'm curious to know if that song, if you picked that as your kind of lead American market single on purpose or did the label, label pick that, why did you think that would be the good, a good introduction to the American market? Honestly, I thought it was a terrible first introduction, <laughs> but that, that's again, that's another thing. When we came over, we were 23 and 22 years old. The drummer had gone home and we, we you know, we had, a, we had Josh Freeze playing drums. He's a phenomenal drummer. So we have this amazing guy playing drums. We get this album done. And that was where the conversation, actually the Air Force Back to Africa conversation came from was when the, the head of Wind Up Records said, you know, we recorded Finnegan from from the ground up. We had the drum tracks, but then we recorded the song four different times because the producer was never around. And he'd show up randomly and and and, and just like, oh no, to do it again from the beginning. Like, well, where have you been all week, dude? You could have told us on Monday that we were doing something you didn't like, and we wouldn't have to waste the time till Friday. So the song comes out, and then there's an argument with the label. They want to put out the original version from our Sarin Gas album that we had in South Africa. So they didn't even want to put out the new album because they had this what they call in the industry is demoitis, and I'm sure you've heard it in other conversations. Mm. But people get they fall so in love with the original sound that sort of you know. I wouldn't say low key, but the, the sort of the rough around the edges sound. And when you hand them a, a more polished version of it, they, they sort of balk at it. So he was not very happy. We had that conversation. He basically told me to go back to, to where I came from. And I was like, man, this is this is going well so far. First single. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> but the, the, the thing with the label too is they like to play things safe. So, you know, on that first album, there's a lot of stuff that I think is groovier and more uh, you know, heavier and certainly sounds a little bit more like the core of the band. But for them, the motivation, again, is, is what's the most accessible song. And, and I think lyrically, maybe they thought that that was one that, was, that could be inspirational. And it, but it was, you know, it was, I was so nervous of it because we, the first tour we did after that was Ozfest. And as you know, Ozfest is not known for its melodic necessarily um, sort of sensibilities, especially not in the early 2000s. So we're playing with bands like Down and uh, not Meshuggah, Mushroom Head. And we're going, well, okay, cool. So we won't play fine again then. And we didn't play it for the first couple of weeks, much to, you know, much to the fans' dismay. And then we started playing it. And I was like, oh, wow, people really want us to play this song. We don't have to worry about what the other guys sound like. We can just be ourselves. And because we just wanted to fit in and, and, and you know, prove that we, we, we should have been there. But so it, it came out, it was on Madden 2002. And we still have people talk to us about that to this day. But that song is interesting because when we were in South Africa, we had finished our first album and the producer said, you guys just don't have a single. You don't have a, you don't have a first single. I said, well, I mean, what do you mean we don't have a first single? We, we've already put one out. There was a demo. That's, that should be, you don't know, you have to, you don't have the song. So I got annoyed and we, 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 we were about 10 minutes away from this little recording studio where we rehearsed. So we went straight to rehearsal. I think it was like, you know, in the, early in the afternoon. And I was, I just picked up a guitar. It was a seven string. And I, I, I just, the song just immediately kind of wrote itself lyrically and everything. And we recorded on a tape cassette and we, we said, well, I, I think that's a cool song. So we, we, we drove back to the studio and almost almost just slowed down enough to wing the tape cassette at them through the window. And so there's your damn single. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we proceeded to the bar and, and on the way there, they, they said, you know, that this is the song we've been waiting for. So it, 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 I, I think the frustration and, and, and trying to remain hopeful, I think all of that stuff comes through the lyrics. So I think it's a good place to start. I just don't think necessarily it's the best representation of what we did to begin with. So we would play shows and they'd be like, oh, I love this song. And then we'd play something heavier. And I was like, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute. This is not what I was expecting. But Wind Up Records was well known for being conservative in, in, in how they approached things. And they were trying to always maximize um, profits over people, right? And, and how the band, they weren't necessarily concerned about how we wanted ourselves to, to appear. Certainly not on that first album. And because we were so green coming into it, we, we, just, we just let them steamroll us. But then yeah. come the second album, you know, we had Remedy as a single, which was, I think, far more representative of our band. And it was, the, I think it was the opening single. And I was happier with that because that, that sort of portrayed us as who we are a lot more closely. Not that we don't have you know, a wide spectrum of songs. I just think that if you want to bring a, a new band out and sort of introduce them to the world, you should find something that's closer to the core sound rather than something that's you know, possibly yeah. a little bit more on the pop side than, 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 the, than a lot of the stuff. So, yeah. yeah. I love when an OG rock real rock act comes on the show because i get to ask this question jordan knows the question Mm -hmm. but basically there's this big talk everywhere you go right Mm -hmm. um music people not music people about rock and roll making a comeback which rock and roll never left it was always something of the underground right essentially but i want to know from a real og rocker um a few things how do you feel about this you know buzz about rock music coming back and sort of pop acts kind of pretending that they're mm-hmm. rock acts weirdly enough but wearing, also, wearing <laughs> yeah. yeah what makes in your words what makes a rock band um authentic a new rock band authentic well i mean look i think rock never went away like like you say i think it was just shunned by the 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 sort of the the top of the industry right I and mean, you, you you could still play festivals in germany to a hundred thousand people you could play festivals in the states 
to uh, you know close to that if not slightly under that but you we've been doing festivals for years and when you play a festival and you see the turnouts and you understand that there's still a massive you know there's a there's a desire to see this kind of hear this kind of music live even when we go back to south africa and we did a tour with metallica years ago and there was like 60 70 000 people at the shows and, it, and it, it's not it's not a genre that's even played on the music on, on the radio anymore at all really wow. so you know that there's, there's there's always going to be fans everywhere so I, I agree i never think i never thought it went away i think what happened was people wanted it to go away because it was you know i think for the longest time rock's job was to shine a light and 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 i also have a theory that um you know when certain rock bands in the late 90s to early 2000s became cool with your parents mm. and your parents didn't just drop you off and they came in with you that's when rock kind of had a bit of a bit of a nosedive for a little bit because it was rock and roll was always supposed to be dangerous and then you know you have other bands that that sort of I don't know. There was there was a, a whole bunch of of genre, sort of sub genres that, that were in the early two thousands that sort of rose and sank very quickly. But I think that that just true rock music that just expresses emotion and that's honest about um, how you are feeling, what you see, and, and, and you know your your opinions without without resorting to the oh yeah the VIP room at a strip club, right? It doesn't always have to involve that kind of debauchery like the eighties were doing, because I think people want more substance. I mean, it, it, honestly, I went through a, a phase—not a phase. I was—I was—I um, was subjected to a bunch of EDM music for a while. Subjected and to, love it. I was, yeah. I <laughs> had no choice, honestly. But I was—I was amazed, honestly, by a lot of the melody choices. I think the lyrics started getting smarter. They were no longer about just you know, uh, bubblegum pop. And and you've got to you've got to start understanding that if, the, if 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 there's more substance in a different genre, people will gravitate towards it because it 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 has meaning and it has it, it you know you can sit there and go, man, this song makes me feel something. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you if you're listening to rock bands and all they're talking about is is you know VIP rooms and champagne and kind of kind of something that you you don't identify with, I think that's that you'll you'll start sort of drifting away from that. And I, what I see in and you're right there are some pop acts that are starting to try to try to make themselves slightly more rock now which is interesting to see because you know when you got guys like Bieber wearing a, a Nirvana t-shirt it's I, I, <laughs> yeah I mean, and I, I think it was, was kind of like encouraging you to throw shade at Machine Gun Kelly because I know that you had a you had something special to say about Machine Gun Kelly yeah back so well you know what the thing is is I, I'm not a big fan of poses like that and and look it's it's you can't go from i still think it's funny that he was completely kicked out of one genre by one man um i'm i'm never going to be a fan i was never a fan of that style of of sort of pop punk to begin with anyway it was not my thing um you know i re- i respect what he's managed to achieve in a very small amount of time i think that that's uh that's interesting but i i, I don't have any respect for the person and i don't have any respect for the the fact that you can be such a chameleon and you can go from one thing and then try and be something else and and then because of you know certain and you know things that are surrounding you and 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 necessarily you know, what 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 your life in general and, and you and look he's got Travis Barker right that was involved in that and Travis Barker is awesome I mean I have no problem with Travis um, I never have but again I'm, I'm I'm just not a fan of that genre of music it's just not because by the time that stuff became really popular I think I was too old for it honestly. Um, but yeah, I, I, look, I, <laughs> I think I, I think the guy's doing what he wants to do, and that's cool. I think that you're really, really stupid to come into a, a new genre and then start attacking guys like Corey Taylor, who in, in many people's minds is like a, is like the metal messiah, you know, at this point anyway. So 
you either have a really large set of balls or you have a really small brain to do that. Or maybe you have both. I don't know. But you can't come into a, a new world where you are, you've just basically stepped into it and, and you aren't even in that world. I mean, you know, Slipknot is, is, is something that, that you don't really want to want to mess with. And Slipknot no. fans will, will destroy you. So <laughs> it's funny, but it's funny that, you know, I say this one thing out of, in, in, in jest, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, you guys were doing God's work or whatever. And dude, MGK fans lost their minds. Like, I don't even care about, I don't know who you people are. I mean, dude, I, and if you, if you like my band and his band, but you get mad at me for saying something about him, then he, I mean, maybe you're not a fan of my band. I don't know. I just, usually I try to stay out of those political type of things, but I just couldn't help myself. Cause mm -hmm. look, I also like to, to piss people off every once in a while. I'm yes. still in a rock band. I'm not here to toe the line. I'm not right, here to, right. to like to like you know sort of sit quietly in the corner and nod my head while in approval with everything I see. And I've never been uh, a person that says, "Yeah, I, I'm a f all rock bands are my friends." In fact, there are a lot of rock bands I don't like because I've, I know them personally. I, I see uh, how they they've changed over the years and how they started drinking their own Kool Aid and how they start thinking that they are the bee's knees and. You know, I've, I, I just distanced myself from all of that stuff. And he's 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 coming in with this massive ego. And it's already a, such a turnoff to me where it, it puts me off to the point where I'm like, OK, well, we can never be in the same room together because you make me want to vomit, man. And it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I just but again, I hope the guy has a long and fruitful career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just not for me, man. You know, we we have to let you go pretty soon here. Uh, but I do want to end on a Cedar question. You mentioned playing fine again at festivals back in the day, and yeah. you you I know that you love playing live music as live and as raw as it can be. Yeah. So, what Cedar song do you like playing the most live, or do you have a couple of them? Usually, it's the last one in the set. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, I mean, there's, I love playing the newest stuff always. Whatever's the newest, the newest single, whatever's the newest um, from the newest album is always the the, 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 the most exciting to play. But the ones that the, the crowd loves the most, like, you know, you got Remedy, you got Fake It. Those are always really good crowd pleasers. Um, when you play Broken and we, we, we all, we, we strip it down to just Dale and I, and he's playing acoustic and I'm playing electric and we both, and I'm just singing it and the crowd normally joins in. That's a, it's a really special moment between us and our audience. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, when we finish, it's been traditional that we've finished a set with Remedy for so long now because it's such a good way to finish. I feel like it's such a good a good exclamation point on the set. And I, and I, I feel like it really drives who we are home because it's it's been with that's, you know, that's been a song of ours now for 15, 14 years that there was a single. And um, I think it was one of the first ones that did really, really well for us, uh, with the exception of Broken, obviously. But um, yeah, there's a there's a the fact that i've probably played remedy i don't know thousands of times at this point do you remember ever sorry to cut you off but we have a fan of yours from russia who wants a shout out i wanted to know if you ever remember touring in russia um mm -hmm. i don't know how to pronounce his name but map x says russia loves caesar <laughs> yeah, we've, yeah we've 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 been to russia a few times it, it's it's a great place to play um it, it's an interesting place um it, there's a there's a lot of really intense rock fans there that, that are quite hardcore um but my favorite story is one time we, we got off a train from moscow to st petersburg and it's, a, it's about it's an overnight ride and we'd been drinking way too much of the of, of the vodka but <laughs> I, i'd managed to go to bed but dale gets out of the train and he is just blind hammered and he's trying to sneak this bottle of vodka past you know as you walk into the station there's there's a couple of armed guys and they're pretty intimidating you know especially because you're in a foreign country they they're known to be a little bit 
loose and you know, fast and loose with the brutality laws. But Dale walks in and man, he's right in front of this dude and this bottle slips out of his arm and just smashes right all over this guy's boots. And I go, oh man, we're, gonna, we're about to get arrested. And to his credit, the guy just looked at Dale like an idiot, shook his head and and we just kept you know, shuffling through the through the uh, train station. But no, it Russia's beautiful in many places, and it's it's definitely a, it's a definitely a fun place to play. And, and um, you know, we were talking about maybe going back there sometime soon. But again, we have to wait for the world to return to some sort of normalcy, or at least at least get to a point where things are where, where there's you know flowing of traffic again, where we, we can go and, and play there again. But it's definitely a fun place to play. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And good luck. And I hope you guys get to tour and hope you get to, you know, show off some new songs soon and uh, best of luck and uh, congratulations. Thank you guys. I appreciate you guys having me. It was awesome. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you later. Thanks guys. All right. That was Sean from Cedar. Now there's a lot to, there's a lot to uh, talk about here. Um, Demi with this and you really are such a big rock advocate. So what was it like for you to like get like this guy who'd really been around to, to talk to? I feel like um, for maybe not just people that make rock music, but for rock fans, he was saying a lot of things that people have been thinking um, in terms of rock in 2021. Uh, but I have hope for rock music. I think there are a lot of bands coming up. There are a lot of acts coming up making quality sounds and uh, you know, rock will never die. See, I kind of, I kind of split with you guys. You, you talk about like the fake rock and I was at uh, our friend, Julia Wolf, her EP release shows were this past weekend. And uh, before Julia came on stage, the DJ played Olivia Rodrigo. Good for you, which is a rock song by a pop singer. And mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that because if it gives a 16 year old kid who's listened to nothing but EDM and pop and bubblegum pop their entire lives. And they hear the song that has a guitar anchoring the, the chorus. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that could be a gateway to more, to harder, more genuine rock. You know, I think what most people would say would want to say about that is that just cause there's guitar in, in a pop song, doesn't make it a rock song. I right. think that's what rock fans would say. And um, yeah, it's kind of like, don't call a song rock that isn't. <laughs> Yeah, I but I I understand your point. Like it can be a, it can be a gateway. A kid can hear a guitar on a pop song and be like, "What's this sound?" And then they go and search for Seether or somebody, you know. So I don't think it's I don't think it's bad. Deal. I know it's not a bad thing, not at all. But yeah. I can understand why rock fans are like, "Dude, yeah." Like that's that's the problem though, is because now pop artists are taking over rock and alternative stations where it's like there needs to be space for everyone. Um, so I, you know, and we, we talked about this with, uh, weathers last week that rock, the rock stations that do exist are sticking to old Foo Fighters songs, mm -hmm. old Blink-182 songs, Coldplay songs that are 10, 15, 20 years old. While these newer acts that you're friends with, that we're friends with that have, you know, five, 10, 15 million streams on Spotify, how that doesn't, how that isn't good enough to get on the radio. You know, that's frustrating. Where maybe like 10 years ago, it was, it was just, it was perfect. Yeah. yeah it was, you were able to do that. Exactly. Yeah. But wow. then 10 years ago is when rock radio turned to like Mumford and Sons and that kind of like stompy, folky kind of rock. So mm -hmm. everyone's guilty of mm -hmm. ruining rock radio. I think we're everyone guilty. kind of contributed to it. Yeah. <laughs>
All right. So what do we got our next show, Demi? The Knox. We got the Knox next we week. We got the Knox. And we might have a special surprise for you next week also. Me and Jordan are going to make this happen. Yes. This and show. our TikTok, we, we got the TikTok going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Sean gave us some good nuggets for TikTok. So oh, my goodness. Great. So many quotes. Yeah. So many yeah. quotes. What a great interview. And, I, and I'm with you. You mentioned with, you know, interviewing OG rock people. I'd like interviewing people who have been, who have had several albums who have been around the block. And I like it because I'm a music history person and you like it because you're up and coming in the music industry. So you get to hear advice and stories from people who have been there before, which has got to be helpful to you. I love it. Yeah. All right, guys. So that'll do it for us. Of course, you can see all our shows on Facebook, YouTube, and listen to us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And we will be back next week with The Knock. So until then, we'll talk to you later.